Welcome to another session of Doc Bites, podcast to empower you with information from specialists in medical auditing, billing, coding, compliance, and documentation. Now, here's the host of Doc Bites, Sharon Easterly. Hello, and welcome everyone today for our Doc Bites podcast. We're very excited to have with us today Dr. Edward Hu. We call him Eddie. But he is with the he is the systems executive director at UNC Healthcare, and um, he's over physician advisor services. So we're very excited to have Eddie here today, and he's going to go through some key points with us about being a physician advisor. So hello, Eddie, and welcome. Uh, thanks, Sharon. Glad to be here. Excellent. Um, you know. We're, you're actually the very first guest of our podcast, Eddie, so we're very glad to be launching this new initiative. Um, hopefully weekly, we will have different healthcare professionals to lend us their guidance and their expertise in their um, specific types of roles, and um, we're, we're just glad to have you. So, Eddie, we're going to start off with, I'd like to know a little bit more about how you became a physician advisor? Well, um, that's a great question because, um, you know, when I wake up in the morning, sometimes I wonder myself uh, how I became a physician advisor. But I, I think it, it just stems that I've always had an interest uh, in, in healthcare finance. And healthcare finance is something that you don't learn anything about in, in medical school, at least when I was in medical school and in residency. Uh, you, you learn how to take care of patients and you learn about pathophysiology, but you don't learn about the healthcare finances and the, the other, um, the other what I call the, the shoulder fields of, of clinical medicine, which are equally as important in the delivery and access um, to clinical medicine. So it, it really kind of stemmed from that. It was an interest in healthcare finance and knowing that this world existed that, uh, that I saw bits and pieces of, but didn't really fully understand and, and so really, I, 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 it was an interest and, and what I thought was an opportunity to learn more about the financial aspects and then subsequently the compliance aspects of medicine and the importance of compliance became very evident uh, in everything that we do. So really, that, that, that's kind of how it started. Um, prior to becoming a physician advisor, I was a, a hospitalist. Uh, I had been practicing hospitalist medicine full time. Uh, for I think it was about eight or nine years uh, when I started to get this interest. And then I just started reading, just started reading things online, uh, came across uh, a, a lot of different um, types of uh, information, uh, many articles by folks like uh, Dr. Meyerson, Dr. Hirsch. Um, and just as, as I kept reading, I kept realizing how little I knew, uh, even reading uh, on, on these things for several months you know, even six months of, of basically on my own time, just trying to learn about this field. And then every, everywhere you look, like there's a new acronym, there's a new auditor, there's a new, um, there's a new, you know, organization, you know, that, uh, or, or government contractor that is working on a, a various piece uh, of this world that, that supports the clinical delivery of medicine. So really that's how I, how I became a physician advisor was um, really, it was about 10 or 11 months of, self-study and an interest uh, in learning more about um, the, the services that support the delivery of medicine. 
Gotcha. Excellent. Now, something I did neglect to mention, Eddie, is that you're the president of the American College of Physician Advisors. So that has to be exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to serve um, for in a, a period of time as the president of the ACPA. Um, the ACPA is full of uh, wonderful folks who are committed and engaged uh, in this field, and and I'm just so happy to be a, to, just to be a part of that, just to recognize that there's other people around the country that are like me that have similar interests and continue to continue to want to learn about this field. So, I mean, it, it's a privilege, and, and, you know, I think that we're doing some great things, and, and I'm excited about the future of the organization um, be, beyond my tenure as presidency. Well, wonderful. Well, Eddie, let me ask you this. So, if you had to tell someone what a physician advisor is, what would you tell them? Um, what I usually say is, is that a, a physician advisor is the bridge between clinical medicine and the other parts of medicine that physicians tend to not know a lot about. And, and I typically consider there to be um, three, uh, three, three worlds uh, in addition to the clinical world. Uh, in the clinical world, I think where the physician advisors can help out with is that they can help out with operational efficiency and they can help out with throughput. They can help out with length of stay. Only a physician truly understands you know, what the holdups are in the hospital and uh, what some of the issues are and, and when a patient is there for a necessary reason or, or when it ends up being a delay that was potentially a- avoidable. So the, the clinical medicine piece, you know, I think you have to be a clinician, and I think most physicians understand that. And when given the time, can, can identify the, the, the pieces of, um, of, of opportunity that can enhance the efficiency within the hospital. But then there, there are three other areas that I believe that physician advisors work in or that many physician advisors work in that are also important to learn about and I consider part of the field of physician advising. The, the most important one that I've come to realize is uh, the world of compliance. Um, understanding the, the regulations, understanding the rules that you must follow, you really do have to understand what compliance is and, and really prioritize compliance in, in anything that you do as a physician advisor. Uh, because without compliance, you're putting your organization, you're putting yourself at, at personal risk, and that's just not something that you want to do. So you have to learn about compliance. You have to keep up with what's happening in the compliance world. You have to keep up with compliance activities, what folks like the OIG uh, and other auditors um, you know, may be doing, what they're focusing mm-hmm. on. The OIG and the DOJ you know, are, are, are the big ones, of course, but the government actually has many contractors uh, who, mm-hmm. who are looking for um, providers you know, who, who are engaging not only just in fraud, you know, because fraud uh, signifies that you know something is wrong and you're doing it anyway in order to get money, um, but mm-hmm. many contractors that are out there just to identify um, waste and abuse, you know, which is not necessarily purposeful. Um, so it's very important to, to understand the compliance. So that, that's kind of the second world that, that I explain to new physician advisors. The third one, of course, is, is the financial world. Um, and the financial world encompasses lots of different things. Um, not only does it encompass billing, but it also encompasses um, coding. And, and it's the whole revenue cycle piece. Uh, understanding you know, how the clinical medicine is translated into a coded record and how the coded record then turn, turns into um, reimbursement. So understanding the administrative claims process is, is really paramount in, in helping to demonstrate the return on investment that every physician advisor needs to demonstrate to whoever your, your, your boss is. 
um, whether you work for a third-party consultant or whether you work for a provider uh, or if you work for, um, for a payer. Um, you know, no matter who you work for, you have to demonstrate that, that return on investment and an understanding of the financial systems of how clinical medicine is actually paid for is very important. And then the fourth world uh, that I talk about uh, is, is quality. Uh, physicians need to understand, physician advisors need to understand how quality is, is measured um, because quality, uh, without, without quality um, in today's pay-for-performance world, there is no payment. Um, almost all pay-for-performance uh, schemes now uh, will, will first look at quality, and if you're not providing quality care to your patients, then you are not eligible for any of the other payments uh, or incentives that you would otherwise be eligible for. Uh, and so I think by, by focusing on those four areas, clinical medicine, quality, compliance, and the financial aspects, only by understanding all four will that position you well for the transition to value-based care and, and population health. So I, I think you really do need to understand those four areas uh, as healthcare is obviously rapidly changing uh, in the next few years. Very good point, Dr. Hu. You know, if you really set your mind on focusing on those things, I think you can be successful because they hit um, about every area of the revenue cycle and what we're moving towards um, in the future. And that takes me to the next question. So with those things, what do you see um, are going to be the top concerns for 2018 for physician advisors? Um, I, I think right now we're in that, that weird transition period where, where we're really still straddling two worlds. We are still straddling the fee-for-service world, and we're straddling the fee-for-value world. Uh, I think in 2018, physician advisors need to prioritize an understanding of um, value-based care, um, issues like the quality payment program, um, MIPS, advanced alternative payment models. I think it's going to be increasingly important for physician advisors to understand those things. We, we need to, to shift our focus away from the... Uh, from the level of care determinations, uh, from capturing of CCs and MCCs uh, for DRG management. Um, you know, those things, they are still important today, but I think, as, mm -hmm. especially over the next three or four years, I think we're going to see as, as providers are asked to take on more risk uh, and performance is going to be based on the total cost of care and not necessarily on a transactional basis, um, per, on a per-claim basis, uh, I think that the things that most physician advisors have prioritized are, are not going to be as important uh, in the next three to four years. Now, whether that, that transition is going to happen all in 2018, I, I don't think it is because, um, because you know, we, we, see, we see what CMS has proposed and, and MSDRG is not going away and CCMCC system is not going away and level of care is not going away in the next 12 months. But over the next three to four years or five years, you know, I think we are going to see a greater emphasis on uh, healthcare systems being responsible for the total cost of care. And, and that's really the goal of most uh, advanced alternate payment model systems uh, where uh, physicians and, and providers are asked to take on that risk uh, for the total cost of care and to have their own payments um, that are dependent on that and, and, of course, demonstration of quality. So I think understanding um, the, where things are moving, understanding that there needs to be an integration of inpatient and outpatient services. We need to mm -hmm. break down those, those silos uh, where the inpatient care managers um, 
you know, need to work with the outpatient care managers or may even be the same care manager uh, and already in some systems, you know, that, that's occurring where you have longitudinal care management. Um, I think that's what, that's what we need to focus on. We need to recognize that this is where healthcare is moving uh, and that it's moving away from, from a transactional um, basis. Absolutely. Um, especially, you know, things are just moving so quickly um, and the rules are just changing so fast. And I know that, you know, ACPA has been a very important component of keeping everyone informed. So, you know, looking towards 2018 and the growth of ACPA, how do you see them being helpful to physician advisors? Because I'm sure they're looking for um, some assistance. Yeah, absolutely, Sharon. I mean, we've always seen the, the major um, the major purpose of ACPA has always been education. And if you look at our mission statement and, and our and our vision, that's on our website. You know, we we were founded as an organization to advance the role of the physician advisor through education, and so that that's what we see as our core mission. And in, in just about everything that we do, we ask ourselves, you know, will will this help provide value to the membership? Uh, will this help to educate our, our physician advisors? Uh, I, I think that physician advisors today, they have a lot to learn. Um, I think a physician advisor today who's coming into the business still needs to understand the trans transactional basis, but also needs to understand where medicine is moving towards. And so I, I think that the new physician advisor of today uh, does, does need to understand uh, what a physician advisor has historically done over the past few years, uh, and, but also where, where thing, things are headed. Uh, I, I think the role of the physician advisor in, in a uh, population health-based world uh, is, is not uh, completely defined yet, and I think it's, it's an exciting opportunity where, where we can define what our role is going to be. So, um, so I, I think with, within ACPA, th those are our, our two big educational charges, is, is that we, we need to be there to support new physician advisors who need to understand the tra transactional basis of medicine that has historically been the case, but we also need to be there for all the physician advisors as we all move move forward into this, this newer territory of population-based care. Yeah, you know, these are very exciting times. Um, you know, healthcare transformation is really having an impact on our careers, and, you know, not only that, information technology is also changing how we do business. So you make some very valid and good points there, Dr. Hughes. Well, we really appreciate um, having you today. Um, are there any additional comments you'd like to make before we sign off? No, I, I appreciate the opportunity, Sharon, and I'm very excited um, that the series is, is getting going and honored that you, you chose me to do the first one. Um, I, I think that a topic that, that will need to be discussed, and I'm sure because I know that you love uh, health information management and electronic medical records, I mean, that's obviously a whole subject unto itself, um, the, the quality of, of the medical record and uh, what, what the purpose of the medical record is. I mean, that, that, that is critically important, and, and there, are, there are many folks that feel that, that EMRs have been a hindrance to clinical care, uh, and, and we, we really need to take that back, right? We, we need to own that. We need to make the EMRs into what we need them to be in order to provide for the care of the patients. Um, so, but that that that's a whole other topic. But uh, I know that you will. I know that you will hit that one. I have no doubt. Absolutely. You know, we're going to have lots of different thought leaders on the show, and they'll range from coding to CDI to EHRs and health information management to information technology, and also some of that executive suite 
um, input. So thank you, Dr. Hu, for participating today, and thank you all for joining us, and look forward to the next episode of the Doc Bites Podcast. Have a great day. You've been listening to Doc Bites.